0: Well, hello again, friends. Welcome to In With The Old. This is season two, episode three. And today we are not dealing with a myth so much as a mistake that Dr. Brian and I have seen some people fall into, maybe without even recognizing it. And uh, the mistake that we see people making is this, that when we read Yahweh in the Old Testament, that that refers exclusively to God the Father. We're going to dive into that in just a moment, but Dr. Brian Koning, how are you doing today?
1: Tim, I'm doing really good. I'm excited for this one because this is one of those things that is not like a big glaring myth that I I see come across my desk. I'm mad about, but just uh, in conversation with people and reading things, I go, huh, I think we are always kind of thinking about how we identify God in the old Testament, knowing he's a trick. He's revealed as Triune in the New Testament um so I'm excited to talk about this topic with you today. I think it's going to be fun
0: yeah it, it's the intersection right of a lot of different things as we think about reading the Old Testament in its context, trying to understand it uh, but also in the the light of the unfolding revelation of the New Testament so there are a lot of moving parts to this and uh and and yet it's important for us to understand uh the God that we worship and how he reveals himself to us so here's kind of the setup, Brian. We understand on this side of the cross and with the New Testament, we understand that God is triune. We believe that as Christians, we affirm that. But functionally, a lot of times we think of the Son being the physical incarnation of God, the Spirit as His presence here on the earth. Uh, But then sometimes we think of the Father as sitting up in heaven And when we go to the Old Testament, we see the descriptions of God as God being uh, in heaven. And so we make that assumption that Yahweh must be the Old Testament name for God the Father. Um, But we believe that's overstating the case, right? Brian, why don't you launch into this and, and just orient us to the problem and how we can make some headway in understanding this.
1: Yeah, so, Tim, as you said, I I think we do often assume that when we see Israel talking about their God, Yahweh, he's in heaven, and we go, oh, well, that's where the Father is. That's who Jesus is praying to, right, during his earthly ministry, so Yahweh must just be God the Father's name in the Old Testament. Um, And that's not necessarily wrong, so we do want to be kind of careful and nuanced here, right? We want to make the point that Yahweh is not always identifiable easily with a single member of the Trinity. However, we do want to point out that we have numerous instances where Yahweh is identified with the son, Jesus. We have an instance where he's identified with the father, but I'm going to say probably on balance, we should think of Yahweh more often as the son than the father. And so we want to kind of walk in on that a little bit. So our first blanket statement is Yahweh is not always identifiable to the Trinity, to the Godhead. Uh, And so let's not... No matter what we're about to say here, right, Tim, we're not saying, ha you can just put a find this name, replace with this name. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. But we want to bring up at least two instances where Yahweh is seemingly identified with Jesus, the son. The first comes from the gospel of John. It's in John chapter 12, right? And, and Tim, maybe give us some context. What's happening in John chapter 12 as Jesus is talking
0: yeah, so um, as, as we come to John chapter 12, we're coming to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, right? And uh, as we mm-hmm. think of the book of John, uh, the book of John has made this incredible claim in John chapter 1 that then is kind of working itself out in the life of Jesus, and it's this, that Jesus is the Word of God, that Jesus is the eternal Word of God. He's the Word of God made flesh. Um, and so as we come to John chapter 12, uh, Jesus here is is speaking to his disciples, and give me a minute uh, here, Brian, because I'm going to actually read this in John 12:41. Um, as we look to what Jesus says, he says, "Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him." Okay, in, in other words, Jesus is taking the words of Isaiah in John 12:41, and he's saying, "Isaiah saw me; he understood me." And as he speaks of Isaiah there, he's going back to quote Isaiah, who is obviously speaking about Yahweh, right? He uses the divine name to describe God's work, to describe God's character, to describe God himself. And Jesus says, hey, that's me. Isaiah is talking about me when he speaks of God in the Old Testament. And so that's what we see in uh, John chapter 12. And uh, Brian, as you know, when when we think of Isaiah's picture of of Yahweh, uh it, it's not merely, you know, the name of God. Isaiah had a vision of Yahweh. Uh he had mm-hmm. a vision of God seated upon his throne. And as he saw the presence of Yahweh, uh it's important that we see, okay, if Yahweh in Isaiah six is the same as Yahweh in Isaiah uh forty, uh or I'm sorry, let's see. The reference here is Isaiah uh six ten right? if that's Yahweh, um, and Jesus says that's me, then of course, correlating it, Jesus is saying the vision that you saw was actually my glory, right uh not not some other God or not me as an addendum, but you saw my glory in that vision and uh and I had a professor brian who who said this, and i I think it's helpful as we consider this, you know when we think of even why Jesus was crucified, why he was killed, uh, you don't get killed for saying things like love your neighbor. You, you don't get killed mm, for saying, yeah. um, you know, turn the other cheek. But when you start saying things like before Abraham was, I am, that's another reference in John. Or when you start saying things like, uh, you know, when Isaiah saw this vision, he saw my glory. That's the kind of thing that's going to get you killed. Why? Because again, the guard, the charge against jesus was blasphemy that he was claiming divinity for himself which of course according to the old testament is something that was uh, absolutely uh, the worst thing that you could do why because there is one god and uh, to claim to be god was the gravest of offenses so that's that's kind of some context there in john chapter 12 going back to isaiah chapter 6 and yet jesus jesus refers to isaiah 6 glory as his own glory isaiah spoke of him
1: yeah, and this is one of the clearer examples as well, because uh, Isaiah 6, listeners, right, that's the, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. I saw Yahweh, and Jesus is saying, that person sitting there was not God the Father, that was me. Mm-hmm. And this is a theme, and Tim, I really like that you brought up, starting in John 1, 1, right, in the beginning was the word, mm-hmm. um, my Greek is fairly rusty, but I'm sure for all of us, right? The Greek of John one one In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't to,
0: seem rusty to me, Brian. I'll just insert that there, but go ahead. <laughs> well, any Greek
1: beyond that, I'm lost, but that that's kind of <laughs> locked in. Um, but John goes to great lengths to say, look, Jesus is the God of the old Testament has been with his people, because that's going to be a key point. As you said, Jesus, when he comes to the people of Israel is not saying, Hey, you need to accept something new about God. He says, I'm the God that's been with you throughout your history. I think of a little bit later in John chapter one, right? When he's starting to call those first disciples, he references Jacob's ladder. He's like, you will see angels ascending and descending upon the son of man. Hey, there's the story from the end. John chapter three, our most famous, right? Passage that we quote out of John. Jesus is time and time again saying, just as the serpent was lifted up, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, right? Trying to make these connections, and it culminates in John 12, where he says, Isaiah saw my glory, Isaiah 6. Um, So here we have a very clear identification, I, I think, of Yahweh being God the Son, not God the Father. And that's not the only one as well. Another one that I really like is from the book of Jude, so if you have, listeners, your Bible, go pick up Jude and go to verse 5. It always feels weird to reference single-chapter books, doesn't it, Tim? Because you're like, <laughs> Jude 5 yeah, and the verse? Well, No, no, it's Jude just five Jude what? 5. It's oh, just wait, it. no, it's just Jude 5. <laughs> yeah. So there's something interesting here. If you're reading from like the NIV or NASB, two translations I really like, by the way, you're going to read through it, and uh, give me just a moment, and I'll pull it up for us here. But you're going to see something odd because you're going to not instantly wonder or not instantly connect why we're talking about Jesus here. So reading from the NASB, Jude 5 says, now I want to remind you, though you knew everything once and for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Okay, this is part of Jude's whole, right, uh worrying about apostasy and he's leading off here saying the Lord after saving people from Egypt destroyed them. The NASB says that the NIV says that, but if you go to something like the ESV, the CSB you're going to see, it says Jesus. It's kind of interesting. This is a point where I actually disagree. I really like the NASB as a study translation, but they, they, I think oopsie here a little bit. See, there's a variant in the text the earliest and most numerous, uh, early example of this verse we have says Jesus saved people from Egypt and subsequently destroyed them. Mm. Um, I, for those of you that want to be all nerdy, uh, maybe we can put in the show notes. Cause Tim, you can see in our notes, we have the list of all the early manuscripts and witnesses, and it's quite extensive. Yeah. Um, and we see, as we go later on, scribes are like, this feels odd talking about Jesus Saving people and then killing people, um, and so you have variants like Lord, which is what the NIV and NASB take, Theos for just God. But Jesus is probably the best reading, and this is a, a key point. Judas saying Jesus saved people from Israel and then subsequently destroyed them. Well, go to the Old Testament. Who delivered Israel from Egypt? Exodus fourteen thirty. Yahweh, Yahweh saved his people from Egypt, right? Who killed people in the wilderness? Again, that's Yahweh. And Jude in Jude 5 doesn't say which story he's referring to. And there are maybe a couple, right? Uh, the sin of um, comes to mind. I think you can make a good case that this is talking about the bronze serpent story. Simply because Jude doesn't repeat the stories and he touches on a lot of the other possible cases. Well, if it is the bronze serpent story and there's a lot more that could go in here because then this ties into John three and something interesting there. Um, But if it's the bronze serpent, numbers 21 makes it clear that it's Yahweh who sent the serpents among the people to uh, kill them. And so here's an interesting connection that in both the deliverance from Egypt and in the punishing of his people, Jesus is being connected to those stories. Whereas in the old Testament, it's the term Yahweh. So, These are kind of the two big ones that that jumped to my mind, Tim. I don't know if there's any other passages that come to you, but I, I think these make a clear point for us. When we read the Old Testament and see the God of Israel, we need to recognize this is God as the Trinity. But I think more often than not, this is the Son in relationship with his people, because then that ties in very nicely to how the New Testament presents Jesus look, I'm not some distant or strange God that's now coming to you saying something new. I'm the God who has walked with you, Um, right? (laughs) There's a reason why I'm frustrated, Pharisees, that you are missing the point because, look, I've done this dance with you before. Now, uh, actually, before I go to the next point, Tim, let me just kick it back to you. Is there anything else here that you want us to talk about before we touch on Yahweh as God the Father?
0: Yeah, I think... As we consider these things, I mean, I I just want us to put ourselves in the shoes of New Testament Christians for a moment, Uh, because on the one hand, we look at what it says in John 1, that he came to his own, his own did not receive them, and we think of how tragic that is. Uh, But on the other hand, I think we can, you know, cut them a little bit of slack in terms of, you know, how could they have understood the fullness of what the incarnation would have meant? Or, Or to put it like this how confusing it must have been for them when they said every single day, right, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, to see God in the flesh, to see Jesus, and and to think of how revolutionary that would have been in their own mindset. Uh, it, it would have been kind of a, a, a does-not-compute, a category error for them. Uh, and I think of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul thought that the incarnation of yahweh in any form would have been impossible it would have been unthinkable but the moment that he saw jesus the the risen savior the incarnate lord on the road to damascus he he saw that he had been wrong and so brian to me so a couple of passages that that i think are telling uh are one the great commission and, and we'll talk about this maybe more in a minute but i think of what paul says in philippians 2 Uh, the famous hymn, right? This is very possibly one of the earliest hymns that Christians used to worship. And uh, Mm -hmm. what does Paul say? He says of Jesus, he existed in the form of God or the morphine of God, possibly a, a reference to Jesus as the image of God. But he said, who in the form of God did not consider equality with God, and I'm reading from the CSB here, something to be exploited, but instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The second half of the psalm then says this, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, we know that that's familiar, but what you may not know is that Paul here in that hymn is actually quoting again from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 45, 23, where Isaiah says of Yahweh that every knee and every bow, uh, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Yahweh is Lord. So, mm-hmm. so think of how incredible that is that Paul who was someone very familiar with the charge of blasphemy blasphemy and, and how incredible in the most proper sense of the word that would have been to people? He says, Jesus has received, or Jesus' name is Yahweh. Uh, at, at which point that really busts the idea that, you know, the the that the divinity of Christ was a later innovation or invention of Christians. No the idea of Jesus being Yahweh was essential to their understanding both of his identity and to his work. They worshiped him, and they worshiped him by intentionally identifying Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, with Jesus Christ. And yet, of course, this is where the doctrine of the Trinity arises. They understood that even as he is Yahweh, he is also Son, Uh, and so that there is this, this, this indistinguishability in one sense between the members of the Trinity in terms of in terms of their essence and their power and in terms of their uh, glory but also there is difference even as there's equality. there's Father Son and Holy Spirit. Uh, so that that passage to me as I think about how well Paul understood the Old Testament, he knew exactly what he was doing when he took Isaiah chapter 45 and he applied that understanding to Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, that's really well put, Tim. One thing I want to maybe push back, and maybe we could have a little discussion here about, though, sure. um, is how unique uh, the incarnation was going to be. And, yeah. and certainly it is new, and certainly it was unexpected. But going to John's gospel, because we've already referenced John 3 a little bit, mm-hmm. Jesus seems to be quite critical
0: <laughs> uh, about
1: their fact that, that they aren't getting it. He says, are you the teacher of Israel? Right. To, to Nicodemus. And yeah, yeah. The expectation is, well, you should have understood. Why am I explaining these two things to you? There yeah. is some of this that you should have understood. Um, yeah. and, and to be fair, right. This, the incarnation is going to be something unique and unexpected. We do have to wrestle with the Shema, right? What does it mean for God to be Ehad or one, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think even there, right, you can go, hey, the, the oneness of God is not some sort of absolute statement like it is in Islam, but it's right. a statement of solely. Um, and this this def- definitely probably takes us too far afield, but um, that the Shema is about monolatry, uh, single worship, rather than monotheism. Um, yeah. that, and that, that's maybe another podcast for another time. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do we wrestle with John 3 uh, with this being a new idea versus something that should have been understood?
0: Yeah, yeah, i I I'm glad you brought that up, Brian, because, you know, John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Jesus says, anyone who wants to be a part of the kingdom of God has to be born again. And Nicodemus, of course, replies, perhaps tongue-in-cheek, you know, how can someone be born, you know, come out a second time from the mother's womb? At which point Jesus responds, well, if you don't understand this, you won't understand anything. And right. and here's what I mean by that. I, I don't think they were expecting it in the way that it happened. You know, there's so many, there's so many references in the Old Testament to God showing up, right? The day of the Lord, the day of mm-hmm. Yahweh, or, uh, you know, even the the Messianic uh, prophecies in Isaiah 7 or Isaiah 9, right? Uh, that that someone is going to come who's going to establish an eternal kingdom. Or even the references in the book of Daniel to one like a son of man, right? I mean, there's all of these images, all of these things that are culminating. And to me, I think the mistake that the early Jews made, or I should say the Jews in Jesus' time made, was they didn't understand the fullness of what it would mean for Yahweh to come down. Um, mm. That That they were maybe over-spiritualizing it. Rather than recognizing that no God was literally going to rend the heavens and come down that the day of the Lord was going to come, but in a way that was in one sense truer and deeper than they were expecting, and so uh they were expecting it perhaps in a, a heavenly sense, whereas Jesus says no, like th- this is uh, like I am in one sense the answer to all the prayers and, and of course he's the answer to all the riddles and the mysteries you know that God himself would enter into creation. Uh, in one sense, we can give them a break, or I want to give them a break, because their imagination didn't allow them to understand the fullness of what those things would mean. So I agree Mm -hmm. with you, Brian, and I'm glad you brought that up. I also totally agree with you that uh, Deuteronomy 6 refers to worshiping one God rather than a statement of God's being or his ontology. Um, And of course, that's what the early Christians had to wrestle with, right? How do we worship one God who shows Himself to us in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit?
1: Yeah, I I think that's well put because it is. We do have the advantage of hindsight and go like, well, of course, now we see how all these things fit together. But <laughs> yeah. as if we're putting ourselves in the shoes of a first century right Jewish follower of God, there is some ambiguity here. There is the ambiguity in the fact that the Day of the Lord is not a singular event; it's two right. comings of God, right? right. Um, so, very well put. I I just thanks for walking through that a little bit i thought that would be valuable to flesh that out yeah so if we can identify yahweh with jesus in several occasions can we identify yahweh only and always as jesus well i think we both are like well let's be careful going too far the other way. it's all this is the history of theology and uh, people, isn't it? We always overcorrect. <laughs> well, let's not overcorrect here. Um, for example, in Psalm chapter two, and this is a passage Jesus refers to, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just read you, uh, read for us the kind of key point. I will declare Yahweh's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, right? Jesus famously quotes from this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of how Jesus applies this passage, though, it seems like he is not placing himself as identified with Yahweh, but with the Son in context. Mm. And so here's a case where you go, all right, this is maybe a more better candidate for if we're trying to find the Godhead in this passage. This is God the Father speaking. That seems to make sense. Um, so we just want to, or at least I want to put that out there just as a caution uh, as we read. Let's not overcorrect and say, ha, it is always then Jesus as Yahweh in the Old Testament, Tim, what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and we have these passages, right? Multiple passages uh, in in Psalm two, great example. I think of Psalm one ten. Uh, this is something that Jesus quotes. You know, kind of the showstopper as he's uh, engaging and interacting with with uh, the leaders in Jerusalem when he says, "The Lord uh, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool." And, uh, and so as we think about this idea, uh, or like I mentioned uh, in the book of Daniel, right, one like a son of man went up to the Ancient of Days, um, we have this idea of uh, Yahweh being enthroned uh, and yet speaking to someone who also is ruling and reigning, right? Uh, in other words, uh, there's this Identification of Yahweh as the Lord, but also a Lord who, as Jesus says to the Pharisees, is David's Lord. So how can David say to someone who is going to be his son that he is his Lord? Um, So yeah, and this is where there's a mystery, right? This is where the unveiling of of revelation becomes so important because there are these obvious seeds in the Old Testament that are going to come to fruition in the New Testament. And uh, and and one last one that I'll mention, and this is where you know sometimes. with, with these very heavy theological concepts, I like passages that, that simplify to some degree. And I think of the great commission, uh, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go make disciples baptizing them. And then he says this in the name singular of the father, son, and Holy spirit. And, and when we think about that, there should be, I hope alarm bells going off. Well, what name is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the name Yahweh, right? The holy name of God, the name that God revealed himself to his people, the name that is above every name, the name that God swore by, right? The name that is holy. Um, Jesus himself identifies the name singular as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's where, even as we see uh, maybe a particular emphasis Uh, in in the Old Testament as the Father speaking to the Son in Psalm chapter 2, or or similarly uh, in some of the pictures that we see in in Daniel and and even in Revelation. Uh, We see these things, but we also have to come back to this understanding that at the end of the day, uh, God's inner working is, in one sense, utterly mysterious. But when we see the Old Testament, I, I think for me the bottom line is when we see Yahweh working, we're truly always seeing the triune God at work, even as we see perhaps one member who is speaking and and taking front stage, if that makes sense. What do you think about that,
1: Brian? Yeah, it's interesting that you point that out, right? Because we're reading Matthew there Mm -hmm. in Greek, Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a debate, of course, right? What did Jesus speak in day-to-day life? Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek... Um, But when you say the name, right, uh, Mm -hmm. my mind goes here. I'm sure yours does as well. Out of reverence for the name Yahweh, it's not usually ever pronounced that. And in reference to it, you usually call it Hashem, the name. Um, And and so my mind kind of goes, uh, there's an interesting connection here, right? As God chooses to reveal himself, names are important. They're the summation of the character of who the person is. Mm -hmm. And as Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go out, right he is kind of pulling that together saying in the name mm-hmm. of god you go forth um and kind of placing that seal of understanding who you serve. This is not something that you only get to read the gospels to understand who this God is. This is drawing from this rich tapestry and history of who God has revealed himself to be time and time again through the centuries dealing with his people. And so, uh, Tim, I like how you said, let's not remove the mystery or the ambiguity where God has placed it here. Mm -hmm. Um, with this revelation of who he is, how he is acting in time and space, I think that's important. I think of Deuteronomy twenty 29. I've referenced it before on the podcast, but it's always one of those passages I come back to. Yes. The secret things belong to the Lord. There's always stuff that's beyond our comprehension that has not been revealed by God. Um, and don't worry about that fully. But the things that have been revealed, Moses goes on to say, right, belong to us and our children forever that we may obey them. And so that kind of call to appreciate the the mystery and the ambiguity, but not just go, oh, it doesn't matter. No, st- the, the call to study and see what's there and to apply it and change this. So um, excellent points. Uh, I hope this has been a helpful episode. Uh, and, and as I, I think we both said, this isn't like a myth that we see out there, but I think it's just kind of a, a mistake from not thinking, oh, well, It's God. It must be just God the Father. Uh, So I hope our our discussion listeners and watchers has helped you kind of appreciate how Jesus has been present in the story throughout the Old Testament, that he's not a brand new character that shows up in Matthew. Instead, he is the God who has walked step by step with his people since the first page of the Bible.
0: Yeah, well said. And uh, thank you, Brian, so much for uh, for. Being on this with me today, and uh, readers, as always, we want to hear from you. So uh, we mention this from time to time. Feel free to email us your questions or comments uh, at inwiththeoldpodcast at outlook.com. We'd love to hear from you. Follow us on Facebook. Share us with your uh, share us with your friends, and uh, we're so helpful to be able to continue to engage and uh, learn with you. And so next week, uh, we're going to be looking at. Uh, another myth. And the myth is that prophets only focus on the future. Uh, But we're excited to announce a very special episode next week, where we're going to be doing uh, an interview with Old Testament scholar, Dr. Richard Everback. And so uh, look for that next week. We're excited for that. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today on In With The Old. As always, stay cool and stay old.